0: the climate funnel, allowing a new space of conversation to be opened. And today I'm bringing together a new group of people who really have potent and transformative takes on the climate situation. Um, Takes which I think, open up the ontological epistemic boundaries of what's meant by the climate conversation. Um, and that's really something we've sought to do here at space, So with that, uh, I want to welcome Matthew, Brendan and Anne and uh, offer you just uh, some space to introduce yourselves and um, yeah, what this conversation means to you. Thank, you. Thank you. Please, whoever wants to jump in first, <laughs> Matthew perhaps.
1: I, I could I could start um so I'm a climate journalist I work for a a non-profit climate news service called dsmog uh, where the focus is very much on shining a light on the vested interests blocking action on climate change um and I, I've been a journalist for most of my career and I, I took this job last year because I felt that it's actually the non-profit media sector that is doing some of the most high-impact work on this front but beyond that i'm very interested in how the climate crisis uh in in some senses could be seen as a manifestation of collective trauma and i've been studying intensively with the facilitator thomas hubel over the last couple of years uh, in a program called the timeless wisdom training where we explore the the psychological and mystical principles of healing what we think of as individual trauma from one's own biography, but also transgenerational trauma inherited from our ancestors and collective trauma impacting whole communities, countries, cultures. Uh, And I've just returned from a, a week long retreat in Germany where we've been diving very deep into how the imprints of World War II, the Holocaust, slavery, racism, colonialism, totalitarian regimes, and many other collective trauma fields live on inside our bodies. And and what we can do to bring that into awareness and in group spaces transmute those imprints into new perspectives and harvest the impulse to restore that we often discover on the other side of this work. So I'm very interested in how that relates to the climate crisis both the causes of the crisis or the roots of the crisis and thinking about ways we can respond in new and more meaningful ways uh, and that's very a very live exploration for me I don't have pre-packaged answers on that and I'm very excited to hear what uh, Anne and Brendan have to say thank you Matthew. Well, uh-
2: yeah, that was brilliant. Um, uh, um, it's a real pleasure to be here today with everybody. I uh, am an acupuncturist. My Most of the time I spend during the week is clinical. I'm speaking to you from the clinic I practice in here in Burlington, Vermont, which is in the U.S., in the northeast corner of the U.S. And uh, before getting into Chinese medicine, uh, before studying and practicing and teaching about Chinese medicine full-time, I was a full-time Uh, environmental activist. And so that transition, for me, was a very easy one and natural one. um, Because the the language historically that's used in Chinese medicine, and what I mean by historically pre westernization of Chinese medicine is the language of nature, quite literally, Uh, it's the language of the seasons and the language of, of weather. And so when we diagnose people clinically, we're talking about what is the condition of their internal seasons, and what is the condition of their internal weather. And so working full time environmentally, when I found out about Chinese medicine, I was just enthralled immediately, uh, because my reference point was nature. And so kind of continuing on with what was just mentioned, I think that ultimately, in my uh, opinion, the Climate crisis is definitely about trauma, but it's also about spirit sickness. It's about individual spirit sickness and collective spirit sickness, because there is no way our spirit could be healthy uh, if we were to continue to have things continue the way they're going. So not only is climate change a, uh, a cause of spirit sickness, but it's a byproduct of spirit sickness. So it's a reinforcing loop. And I, I think that's important because much of the conversations, at least in the West, about climate change are essentially just recycling the same assumptions and the same beliefs, the same paradigms that have created the climate crisis. And so what we need now is transformation. We need deep, fundamental, systemic spirit change. And the perspective that I know best is Chinese medicine, and the historical and philosophical roots of Chinese medicine, which I think have a tremendous amount to offer in the discussion um, about personal healing and collective healing, and by extension, climate healing. So I'm, I'm really grateful to be here and I'm excited to be a part of the conversation.
3: Thank you, Brendan. Well, I hail from the West Coast, having begun my life on the East Coast of Canada. I live on the island of Vancouver in the city of Victoria and also have a property in one of the Gulf Islands in a co-op that we started over 40 years ago, where we decided collectively to save a piece of land for future generations that was going to fall to some subdivision plan. Within the island. And so we have been stewards of this land now, and we have four generations still very much involved in what's happening over there. Um, I come to, I guess, the notion of climate and the notion of just the environment as an environmental activist, but I also became a political and social activist. Um, As I was developing in this area, I had the great fortune of studying with an environmental philosopher at the University of Victoria when I was doing my graduate work who introduced me to Joanna Macy. So I became very um, involved in the deep ecology movement in the early days and was involved in not only just in my city, around the environment, but also with the Clackwit um, and the forests on the west coast. I have enormous amount of um, admiration for David Suzuki, who has been my, I would say, my mentor all along. And, um, from the very beginning, for me, it wasn't about the science. I wasn't terribly interested in the science um, and people kept wanting to push me in that direction. What I was interested was in the science of the mind, of the higher mind, and how we change people's perceptions. I've worked in education, I've worked in business, I've worked in many different... I'm very eclectic. Um, However, my esoteric background is one of trans-Himalayan ageless wisdom. Uh, provenance. So, since the early 2000s, I've been immersed in um, esoteric psychology, esoteric philosophy, and esoteric healing, and trying to get a sense of how our inner selves are really connected, um, not only through what we now call interdependence, interconnection, but also how deeply we are connected with nature, even if we see a blade of grass on a sidewalk growing through a crevice. Um, I spent many years teaching young children, uh, and all of my curriculum was around the environment throughout the year through a cyclical Mm -hmm. natural provenance of, you know, that here we are, We live in this beautiful environment. We have cycles, and how do we live these cycles? Um, You know, with some awareness. And then, going to the adults later was much more difficult. Children are much more open and excited about being part of all of this. And um, so, as you can see, I'm very interdisciplinary. I've been to various places for sources and the notion of somehow our inner development being very connected to our outer expression for me is first and foremost in my inquiry right now. And I continue to be. So just to leave this on the note of my study, my area of passion has been group consciousness. How do we move from hyper-individuality to something that we can call group conscious living. Where do we take each other? How do we take each other to that place? So thank you.
0: Thank you, Anne. So yeah, clearly a lot of resonant threads and uh, quite a number of years behind all of us in, in coming to this conversation. And as I just listened to all of you, I'm kind of just allowing uh, a clearing. Um, like sort of sensing the de- like a mild degree of urgency still that I was bringing into this conversation and a little bit of like, ah, like, okay, when are we going to get to the get to the thing? And of course, that is more or less acutely related to the problem that we're speaking about. Um, because there's a deep, deep degree of we could call rest or relaxation or letting go uh, in some way that that is requisite for us to open the space of healing, of the possibility of a a different movement um, occurring. And much of the contemporary climate movement is uh, characterized by exclamation marks, panic panic and there's good reason for that i spoke with ann over the summer because she was literally getting smoke from burning forests all over where she's living um we're definitely in the midst of something now and i think that's potentially an important move that we can make because a lot of the journey for me i'm 27 i've kind of grown up in a particular period of this um, where it's been like all oh, the bad things gonna come if we don't do it, if we don't stop this, da da da. Um, the last year or two I've felt myself move into a place of uh no, it's we're already in it. We are mm-hmm. we are already fully in it. Whatever's been uh whatever transformation, whatever destabilization has been set off, we're in it now. And there's kind of a shift, I think, that occurs as an acceptance and um, potentially some new possibilities that that open up in that. Um, So, yeah, I wanted to open it if anything's alive. And um, Brendan, I'm also very interested. I I know the the yin and yang of climate crisis is an expansive uh, bit of work, but perhaps bringing a bit more of that in here would be uh, would be fruitful.
2: You bet. <laughs> um, I I very much agree with you, and I agree with the sentiment. And I go in vacillate in between between uh, a, a yin and yang response to climate issues. You know, so in Chinese medicine, yin is old and traditional and indigenous and quiet and peaceful and relaxed, and yang is new and contemporary and fast and urgent. And so I think they're both necessary. But um, in looking at the climate issue generally and looking at climate science in particular from an Eastern medical view, from a yin and yang perspective, it's really quite clear what's happening. What's happening is we have an excess of yang, which is an excess of heat. And we have a, a, a lack of yin, which is coolant. So the planet is warming. It's getting hotter, which is an excess of yang. And simultaneously, the planet has a lack of yin, a lack of ability to look at it in terms of uh, Western climate language, uh, in terms of a decrease in the ability to sequester greenhouse gases, both in the oceans, in the soil, and in trees and plants. So the overall condition, the overall diagnosis is actually very clear. We have an excess of yang, an excess of heat, and a lack of yin, a lack of coolant. And that very same dynamic of an excess of yang and a lack of yin, not surprisingly, shows up throughout our entire lives. If we're in the Western industrialized world, we have the very same dynamic. We have a dynamic of being overstimulated and simultaneously lacking peace. And not only do we have that throughout our lives, we have built our entire culture on that dynamic. Right, where economically, medically, socially, educationally, interpersonally, we overvalue young and we undervalue Yin. And that's not coincidental. It's not coincidental that the same climate diagnosis is absolutely happening within us and within our relationships to the world and in the institutions that dominate our lives. And why is that not surprising? Because the personal is the ecological and and rather than just summing my entire book up in that one sentence, which which we could easily do to extrapolate a little bit on that, the basis of Chinese medicine historically is this, is the basic understanding that we are nature and nature is us. And even more than that, going back to the first book in Chinese medicine that we still have access to called the Neijing, which was written um, from an older Chinese medical view about 5,000 years ago. The first chapter of that book says that all of the influences in the universe are within us and that we are universes unto ourselves. And, and then the rest of the text doesn't state that anymore because that's just understood to be basic truth. And so that view, which I do not think is unique to the older aspects of Chinese medicine, which relate to Taoism in particular, I don't think that that's unique to Chinese medicine or to Taoism. I think that that's a basic fundamental truth that people who have lived close to the land and live close to nature have understood and understood to be self-evident, understood to naturally exist. So... I think that view is very important because we cannot change the world around us unless we change ourselves. And we cannot change the fundamentally dysfunctional uh, social systems we have, our educational system, our uh, economic system, our agricultural system, all of that, medical system. All of those systems, all of those institutions are coming from the same imbalances, the same root problems that are within us. So it's not a cliche, it's not um, inconsequential to state that if we want to change the world, we have to change ourselves. And not only change the internal assumptions we have about the world, but change our internal condition. How are we going to change the world if we have the same imbalances and even to go farther than that, the same sicknesses, the same pathology within ourselves? but also to go the other way, if we're really concerned about our own well-being, our own balances, our own healing, we have to look to nature. We have to go in both directions. It's a cycle. We have to heal ourselves to heal the world. And in order to heal the world, we have to heal ourselves. So though that perspective is at this point, self-evident to me. And I think that there is a disconnect between a lot of Western environmental discussions um, about our own internal conditions, but also in speaking, teaching a lot at natural medicine conferences, Chinese medicine conferences, there's almost no discussions of the reality of climate change. So we need to expand those discussions to incorporate the basic truth that we are nature and nature is us and our healing is the healing of nature and the healing of nature is our own healing as well.
3: I'd love to jump in here because, for me, it has been a journey that began with Joanna Macy and her writing of the book, World as Lover, World as Self. And as a woman, the lack of the feminine energies around us has been a preoccupation of mine. Not only from a feminist point of view, which is where I began, um, I have French as my first language. I grew up in a bicultural um, environment and right away noticed when I stepped into the world as a very young child that what I was holding as a climate where I could grow into life was not at all the same when I stepped out of my home. because we had an open policy around everything. Difference was how we met the world. And that was encouraged from a very early age. So there was a real disjoint for me, moving into the world, and being um, bilingual, I could hear the nuances of the language that was being used for us to kind of bury that in, I would say, in a world ecology that was going in the wrong, du- wrong direction. And I, I, I read a quote from David Suzuki um, just yesterday, and it, it just struck me, because he was my hero for many, many years, continues to be. he's in his 80s now, but I, I'd like to read you this just so that we can support um, where you are coming from, Brendan. And what David said yesterday was, we failed big time. We as environmentalists focused on issues, drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, threats to the caribou herd, stopping a dam in the Amazon. But even when we won, we failed as a movement to change the underlying assumptions of society, the behavior of government and business. And for me, for somebody who has devoted his entire life and made a career of bringing awareness to the world, it feels somewhat disheartening to hear him say that, and yet we've known all along. And finally, we have come to that realization and needing to speak it out loud, needing to say, yes, we have failed on many counts and we keep shoring ourselves up with, oh yeah, when they did this over here, that helped that, and now that we have electric cars, life is gonna be different. You know, we've found all kinds of places to put our, energies to try to avoid feeling this dying that we're going through. So, in beginning to work with Vanessa Machado de de Oliveira, who's now at University of Victoria, she wrote a book called Hospicing Modernity, and teaches to that. Um, It has been a very interesting thing to begin to think of ourselves as a dying species, not always looking at, there's a dying species in the bird world, in the marine world, in the plant world. We are also dying as a species. So, it behooves us to begin to ask a different order of questions not about how we're going to save the world, but first of all by hospicing ourselves as humans. And then, where shall we go? How shall we support each other? How shall we comfort each other, as we are? Now, hospicing modernity is hospicing a way of life, a way of seeing things. So, what would it be like to be on the other side of this? And what would be the questions we could be asking ourselves right now around that so I'm, I'm finding y- your proposition Brendan <laughs> very compelling because I live from that place as well um, so yes resonance all the way through
0: yeah, I just want to Thank you both for those really poignant contributions. I really felt like the pace, as we slowed the pace, each of our words have kind of become more choice, and I really appreciate now where you've brought us Anne, with this perspective on hospicing modernity and what might be beyond that horizon. And uh, yeah, I really want to hear what's coming from Matthew and in response to all of
1: this. I love uh, the frame Brendan you bring with the Chinese medicine perspective linking the inner and outer so with such clarity and it it resonates very deeply with the work I've been doing uh, with with Thomas Hubel just a week ago I was in Germany and we were really examining and discovering how these layers of accumulated trauma live on inside of us and how they they structure our perceptions and behaviors and reactions without us even noticing that process most of the time. But recognizing actually how quickly as people we can come together, and I'm thinking, Anne, of your interest in the group consciousness, how relatively quickly we can establish that consciousness which allows us to start to access these layers feel these feelings that may have never been felt before or have been pushed down into the unconscious and do that in relation with each other and in in a large group of, of 200 or so people and For me, that was it. Made visible very clearly how much we're carrying, or how much our whole species is carrying into the present without realizing it, and and that recognizing this is somehow a gateway to some new state of consciousness, to some new form of relating um, on a very visceral level. By the end of this week of this intense inner work the sense of safety and connection of almost being part of one body in this group was absolutely extraordinary. It's like, I've never felt as safe as that in any work, certainly not workplace, uh, not a community. I would say not even in my own family. Have I had the depth of regu- co-regulation that became available as a result of that work? And it was like a portal was opening into some new consciousness where new ideas were coming, new impulses to repair, to offer ethical restoration, whether as individuals or on a more collective level. All of this was starting to emerge in a very spontaneous and organic way. And... It reminds me that Thomas is—he he was giving talks from the Tao Te Ching, and one of the one of the phrases that he likes to repeat, and if I hope I get it correct, is man follows Earth, Earth follows the universe, and the universe follows the Tao. <laughs> All right, so I'll sit have to sit with that for the rest of my life to really fully <laughs> assimilate the teaching there, but. I, I was thinking of those words as you were speaking, Brendan. This kind of nesting of our individual selves in this greater global self, or the the in nature, and and seeing that we've reversed that direction in a way, and the energy is all snarled and blocked and flowing backwards and in whirlpools and eddies and kind of trapped. But this work, this group work that we were doing felt like it was freeing something. It was, it was, it was getting the energy flowing in the right direction again. And actually, Thomas talks about this work as global acupuncture, like like when we come together with a group like that, we're doing a kind of acupuncture for the collective. Um so I don't know if that's a coherent response really, <laughs> but there's I I felt a real deep resonance and curiosity about further connections we could make between the experience that I've really been living of late through this work and the kind of the the framework and the concepts uh, that Brendan and Anne, you were bringing. Yeah,
0: Matthew, I really appreciate the bridge that I think we've both experienced and articulated to one another at various times of what happens on the other side of that experience of healing and reconnection or or realignment of deep somatic cleansing um, is some sort of creative space. And I'm wondering, almost a question to put to this group is like. Is this crisis really about us doing something like is it that we need to do something in uh in that way or is it in some sense that through that clearing through that ontological space that we create between us with ourselves also transmitting through our creations to to reach other people the 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 space is created where the solutions and the, the the sort of external realignments of ah let's act in this way let's communicate this notion that hasn't been you know articulated before um does that simply kind of come through when we bring things into alignment um and then i suppose just one kind of addendum to that is a sense of like with with brendan your philosophy i almost feel like there's a kind of return there's like a An ancient returning to something, and then with my conversations with Matthew, there's there's more of like a psychedelic alien consciousness, like (laughs) a new consciousness coming down um, that hasn't yet Mm. occurred on Earth, and is being like its emergence is being catalyzed by these very particular um, epochal conditions for, you know, moving into the Anthropocene and so on. So a couple of questions that are kind of stir the, the pop.
2: I'd love to respond to that. Um, I think we're at a time of such um, juxtaposition. And um, there's a lot of things that need to happen. And there's a lot of things that need to not happen. And I think that so uh, to expand on that a little bit, there's a need to do things and there's a need to not do things. So I am supportive of solar panels. I'm supportive of electric cars. I'm supportive of local organic seasonal agriculture. I'm supportive as needed of people locking themselves to things and climbing in things. I've done that. I've climbed trees and sat in them. I've locked myself to things. I've laid in front of things. I've gone to jail multiple times. I think all of that is is good and is is important. And so that would be, that's yang. Doing things is yang. Are there things to do? Yes, there are things to do, but yang is activity and yang temperature wise is hot. So ultimately we cannot do our way into addressing an excess yang condition. Another way of saying that is you cannot effectively fight fire with fire. If you fight fire with fire, you inevitably get fire. There's no other solution. If you have something that's hot and you add more heat, you will inevitably, invariably get more heat. You don't need to be a great Chinese medicine scholar to understand that, I don't think. So in a hot condition, the remedy with excess fire is water, and water is yin, and water is not doing, and water is the old and the traditional and the indigenous. And so there is inherent cycles happening always in Chinese medicine, whether it's a time of balance or imbalance, whether it's a time of personal health or personal sickness, there's always balance potential, and there's always cycles happening. So in Chinese medicine, if you take anything far enough, it transforms. That's not likely, that's not possible, that's inevitable. If you take something to its full expression, it becomes something else. If you take night to its full expression, it becomes day. If you take day to its full expression, it becomes night. If you take one season to full expression, it becomes another season. So those changes are inevitable. Where we are now is at an extraordinarily unique time of full young expression. So yang expression is fast, it is new, it is loud, it is aggressive, and it is hot. So we are at a point of of what I believe is at or very close to being full yang expression in the climate, in our lives, and in our culture. So what happens when something reaches full expression? It transforms. So we are at the point of transformation. In my opinion, whether we like it or not, (laughs) whether we want that to be the case or not, we cannot want night to become day or day become night, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter our own personal preferences. Things are going to transform. So we are now at the point where young, all the pathology, all the excess, all the speed, all the emphasis on new, all the sickness that comes with an excess of young is transforming. So in my opinion, the question is how gracefully we're going to make the transition. Not whether the transition is here, because it is here. It's how graciously and mindfully we're gonna make the transition from yin to yin. So that transition is about slowing down. That transition is about honoring and embodying the old and and the traditional and the indigenous. It's about reconnecting to ourselves and to people and to place. Um, And it's essentially living a cooler, slower, more meaningful, happier and healthier life. And that's the opportunity we have. And it's here, just like we were talking about in the beginning, it's not some other future date. It's not five or 10 or 50 years from now, it's today. And so the good part about that is we can ride that inertia. That inertia is here. We don't have to necessarily make it happen because it's here now. And the question is how how graciously we're going to ride that inertia. And it may not be gracious at all. It may be catastrophic and it may be cataclysmic. Um, that's a possibility too. But the, the transformation is here right now, today. And I think we individually and collectively can go with that inertia. We can go with that river of energy rather than fighting that river because a lot of Western environmental thought right now is about confrontation, which is fine. I'm down for that. (laughs) There are things that need to be confronted that I have been involved with confronting in the past. I'm not saying that that's bad, but there's a much bigger thing going on that I think we can work with and move with rather than resist.
3: So what would it be like if we were to come together and begin to nurture ourselves going out of resistance? And not turning over on our backs, but simply being in a place where we begin to understand what the excesses have been, and what they've led us to. And are we willing to do that? So from an esoteric perspective, it is the will to good that is now permeating the cosmos. And we are resisting, 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 because we are so self-absorbed still. Each one of us has a way of dealing with ways of saving the environment, but are we really here to save the environment? Are we really here to continue to do what we've been doing? So it's a fixing mentality that we've been in. Let's fix this and tinker a little bit here and this and that, and oh, things will be okay again. Then we'll get it back to normal and we can breathe for a bit, instead of going into a full breath. So what's become evident to me, and I'm now working in a community that's um, playing with the notion of a social experiment in love. So I'm with the New Republic of the Heart that was formed by Terry Patton. And you might or might not know um, the organization Terry Died almost two years ago and we are really now thinking how will we turn this experiment out into the world? And the basis is really how do we learn to love each other and not push each other away, not compete with each other, but truly, truly appreciate and feel gratitude. How can I feel you and you feel me? as we move through this. But we've built these shields around ourselves so that we don't have to feel each other, never, never mind ourselves. And so how do we develop this attitude of love which is more than the love that we have known so far? Together. How do we turn to each other as Meg Wheatley would say. How do we turn to each other with love and compassion and caring so that we then can become less resistant to what is coming through? Because the bigger cycles in the cosmic realm are all about these conflagrations Mm -hmm. to burn off the dross. Not a surprise that the West Coast is burning. Not a surprise that we have wars where there are fires everywhere. We're trying to burn off what we have not been able to contain. So there has to be a way, as you were saying, Brendan, there's there's a way of coming to transformation. But as a species, we resist change. So the question is, how can we develop a group consciousness that allows for love, that isn't seen as something soft and ridiculous? And I tell you, lurking in the business world, it's a tough go. To try to bring up the notion of love, working with heart, going to your heart first, and then acting from there. So you're bringing up a lot of things, Brendan, that for me are roiling and broiling inside me, personally. But also I know, collectively, because I can feel it. I can sense it. I know it and we all know it so thank you for your your explanation and and bringing this particular way of entering into this space very much appreciated
0: before we um move forward from this moment i just want to appreciate the medicinal transmission that i received from brendan and, and continuing with Anne, um with that with the invitation to potential listeners of this with the expanded field within this within which this conversation occurs You know whether or not it's people listening to this or simply people connected to us with whom we will go on to have conversations with like how can the energy of that question actually be manifested how can i live that out when i go into a nightclub in berlin (laughs) at some point um that yeah and there's a there's a um there's a gentle gentle radicalism involved i think in that kind of um soft mycelial kind of composting of culture um and it takes courage and it takes uh spiritual resource i think and that's um Yeah, that's something we can explore a a great deal as well, I think. Um, Also, as a matter of uh, sense space, style we've mastered the art of sitting into the silences here and not compulsively filling them so uh yeah we simply wait until (laughs) that that true impulse arises because that's really what we're seeking to manifest out in the world as well in those all those different environments all those situations Where does a true will of the good, will of the Tao want to, in this situation, want to arise?
1: I was very struck uh, when Brenda was speaking, um, feeling back into the week and really recognizing that that, the place that we made it to by the end of this connection, this real felt sense of a, we, the we space that had its own, uh, impulses, its own boundaries, its own consciousness that we were all sharing, but without at any time losing our individual identity, that felt to me like what should be the baseline, like that should be normal. <laughs> like this was like coming home. And it, it was making, as Brendan was speaking about how we're too yang, how how it's manifesting in our, us as individuals. I felt, yeah, that we'd actually found our balance there. We'd found, and I believe, is, is there a, there is a term for the, in the yin-yang symbol for the line, the S-shaped line. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> the, probably Brendan, you <laughs> you can enlighten us on that. <laughs> I, I actually don't. <laughs> is is there not a is there not a someone was tweaking about this at a talk I heard. It's kind of where the where the, the, the two halves connect is where the real power lies in a way. And I, I really felt like in that space we'd reached a kind of we'd reached where what who we're supposed to be. And if we could create more of those spaces and have this kind of inkblot spreading, that's the remedy, the medicine in a way. And out of those spaces, different kinds of ideas, solutions, impulses arise. And maybe just to footnote that as well, what you were saying about the transformation, what was coming to me were two things which were very much part of the environmental conversation. One was peak oil and the idea that we're actually now probably at peak oil consumption pretty much and heading towards the plateau and decline which would be the turning of the the yang the peak yang perhaps and the other one was the degrowth movement and this idea that we need to totally transform our economic paradigms and actually have less but have have less material wealth but live happier better lives which feels very aligned with that yin kind of movement and as Anne says this kind of current of energy and i love the idea and that as people involved in advocacy activism journalism we can be tracking how whether how we feel aligned with that obviously in our personal conduct but also in the kind of stories we're telling or the kinds of organizations that we're building or the kind of narratives that we're centering. So there was a lot sparking in me as I was listening to both of you then. So thank you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's really, for me, it's a really, this is a really wonderful conversation and uh, it's very heartening for me uh, because there's, so many different ways of talking about it and the primary lens i have is chinese medicine but really chinese medicine is just nature so i think we all have an experience of nature and chinese medicine is a particular interpretation of nature particular lens with which to see nature and then through that lens to see our own lives and i think that so many of the issues that we're, we're talking about individually here and collectively of peak oil and Uh, you know, decreasing growth and interconnection, it really can all be related to yin and yang. You know, so peak oil, right, at some point, things have reached their peak, whatever it is, GDP, GNP, oil, whatever, eventually the expansion inevitably leads to contraction. And we have a cultural aversion to contraction. Whether it's economic contraction, money contraction, possessions contraction, whatever it is, we assume that contraction, and by extension less, is somehow a bad thing. And contraction and less is not inherently a bad thing. Having said that, there are people who need more, who need more housing, need more money, need more clothing, need more health care. It's not that the young is bad. And in some environmental circles, there is, I would say an overstatement of that, right? That anything new is bad, having anything is bad, having a little extra money in the bank account is bad. That's an overstatement. But uh, also a massive overstatement is that inherently more is better. It's simply not true. And anything that expands eventually in a balanced state contracts. So I write a little bit about peak oil that's not a a topic that I have great expertise in. But it is clear that eventually, you're gonna we're gonna run out of things, including oil, and we have a more and more desperate attempt through fracking and other ecologically destructive, costly ways of extracting oil, we're getting to the end of the oil that we can easily get to. So that can seem scary, which in some ways it is, but that can also be an opportunity. Right, it's an opportunity for change. It's an opportunity not only to use less oil, but just to use less in general, right? So I really think about climate change in terms of sickness and in terms of diagnosis. So climate change is a sickness on a global scale on an ecological scale, but by extension, it's also a sickness on a climate, on a cultural scale. And by extension, it's a sickness on an individual scale And so when we have a sickness in Chinese medicine, uh, the term we use is we want a differential diagnosis. We want to differentiate what's causing the sickness. And yin and yang is a brilliant, in my opinion, easily accessible model, an easily accessible lens to not only see the sickness, but to see where the sickness is coming from. And an analogy with that are roots and branches the branches are the symptoms and the roots are where the symptoms are coming from and yin and yang allows us to see both the branches and the roots we need more yin we need to slow things down we need to not only have less but want less even more importantly than like a a legislative action to say well we need to consume less i think that's fine more importantly we just need to want less We don't need more We're not interested in more because we realize that not only is more not satisfying at some point, it's just not healthy. We just don't need it. And so, you know, voluntary simplicity movement is a is a is an important idea. Um, And I write at the end of my book about the idea of emphasizing the quality in our life rather than the quantity of things that we have. Because when you get a taste of quality, at some point, the quantity just doesn't matter. Why would I want more stuff when I'm satisfied with what I have? That the food I eat is nourishing and is medicine to me. The relationships I have are meaningful. I have enough physical stuff, so therefore I can focus on the quantity, the quality of my life. And that includes, in my opinion, the quality of the effort, the energy, the chi that I give to my community and to the people around me and to the planet. So um, part of what we have, and I can certainly speak for that here in the US, is we assume that if we have more things, we'll have a better life. And it just doesn't work. And we're at a point now where so many people feel it on a very basic level. And a lot of my interactions with people is clinical. talking to you from one of the treatment rooms at the clinic I have here in, here in Vermont in the U.S. A basic problem that we have is we do more and more stuff, and we get more and more stuff, and we're less and less happy, and we're less and less healthy, and we're less and less satisfied. And rather than being some great mystery, it's just yin and yang. At some point, when you have enough stuff, when you have enough yang, what you need is more yin. And it's accessible. This is not some inaccessible, far out, crazy thing. It's At some level, it's just basic common sense. And I think that's the approach that I think is vital to put out there because that's the root issue. If we, if we deal with that, if we deal with those root issues of what is meaningful, what is satisfying, what is important, what promotes health, what grows from those root issues is sustainability personal health interconnection the ability to connect with other people the ability to connect with ourselves and i think honestly certainly here in the u.s and i think probably in the western world in general not only do we want that we crave it we crave it even though we don't have the words to know what Mm -hmm. we're craving Um, so people it's not this is not a hard sell (laughs) this is not a difficult thing to get people interested in because at some level we already know it We already know what's happening, and at some level, we already know what we need.
3: And I'd like to add that, where do we go to know that? We need to go to our hearts. It's simple. Do I feel right in my heart or do I not? It's as simple as the yin and yang. Am I feeling off? What's going on here? So developing the heart. Energy is fundamental because if we have a surfeit of the yang, then how are we going to counter that? How are we going to find that balance? So we're like this right now, so adding a little bit more heart action, mm-hmm. which becomes actually group consciousness because as we develop our hearts, we're more aware of one another it changes the balance. Mm -hmm. We're not so self-focused, we're more outwardly focused. We can allow each other to step into each other's spaces so that we can form a field of consciousness. So group consciousness is not rocket science either. It's working from the heart. Mm -hmm. And just being able to say to each other, how do you feel right now? Shall we take a pause? Shall we find that place? How can we do that? It's as simple as that. So I think that we're coming to the very core of that inner world that needs to be developed. And we've been living under the influence of outer worlds and responding from that place, and now we're thinking, hmm, maybe if we develop the inner world, which has always been there, which has always been the first place to go to, but we've forgotten that. So now we can return together into that space. So when you were talking about we space, this is one of the fundamental workings of the New Republic of the Heart. Terry and Thomas, many, many years ago, before they both went into their own spheres, um, taught a course. They took a year to go into what they call developing WeSpace. So there are an awful lot of um, studies. There's a lot of data around this. And yet again, trying not to get it into just the intellectual space, but developing the imagination and developing the intuition, which is crucial to our children being able to live anything that looks like healthy. There's no health if we can't come from there. And our children are living in an environment that is making them sick. So developing that in an education system, not just talking about meditation or, but just simply working from the heart, it's, to me, become relatively simple to work from that place. But it's not being afraid. Many of us are afraid to seem kind of odd or not quite it, or being a little bit too, hmm, yeah, earnest, perhaps. So maybe if we can begin to think of the qualities, as you were saying, Brendan, what are the qualities of the, the in-qualities? Compassion, love, caring.
0: And I feel like I maybe... Fundamental. I may be in the presence of some A-grade oddballs today. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly myself included. Um, There's something that I really want to plug in here as we're kind of approaching the last um, 15 minutes. Um, And this is just... Yeah. Well, it's bringing me down into my heart. It's bringing me into heart consciousness. So this is the... The kind of dialogue that I that fulfills me. What's come to mind is the combination of the kind of schizophrenic break that's occurring in the neurosphere and the collective psyche and the information layer, um, the intensity of that, what I will call schizophrenia, of that. Sp- steep schism of mind and to be witness to be present to that is to to literally you know witness it um and in some sense be partaking in that um and concurrent to that this very real schismatic unpredictable um destabilization at the level of the biosphere and i do feel that there's potentially a interconnection between these two layers like as they both destabilize perhaps one uh, one feeds into the other um i've often thought that perhaps what we're seeing with the climactic instability is a kind of um birth contractions or whatever new consciousness can emerge. Um, Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of root that down that, you know, in some sense where you're you're being the person who can support a person, the, the body of humanity as it undergoes you know, schizophrenic break And that doesn't necessarily mean coming in and declaring which aspect of the landscape of what's going on is true. Um, It's working at a deeper level, I think, working at this level of the heart.
1: Yeah, there's a whole uh, flood of associations arriving in me uh, listening to to you jacob and anne and brendan um really recognizing like really and and again drawing on my experience in in germany of of this of really feeling the we space as a living reality as opposed to an idea or theory really really experiencing what that feels like what immediately becomes apparent is how far off track we are from that or how our whole culture in certainly in western industrialized culture has been almost deliberately designed to deprive us of that feeling and we were talking jacob about the uh, film all quiet on the western front mm-hmm. the um remake i don't know if you've seen that uh brendan and ann i mean it's a for anyone watching this who hasn't seen it, it is an amazing film i watched it uh, on saturday with my dad and his dad fought on the western front as an 18 or 17 or 18 year old at the end of the war and i mean it's an incredible film on so many levels but it it, it is very powerful at capturing this industrial machine this mechanized regimented death machine basically that the the had been built and that is still running as far as i can see you know we can trace the climate crisis to hyper capitalism colonialism all of these systems that have brought us to the place we are now but they haven't just obviously created this outer manifestation they've also separated us from ourselves and from each other very effectively and i i also like jacob what you were saying about the, I can't remember you said it so eloquently something about which part of the landscape is true or we can spend a lot of time arguing over that and it brought me in mind of something that we've also discussed before and which again came through in this in the training with Thomas like we don't talk about ideology or we we, we do talk about mystical principles and the Tao and and understanding something deeper but we don't we, we tackle subjects such as racism slavery colonialism the holocaust topics that are very still obviously very alive in the collective but we don't come with an ideology or a kind of woke agenda because we don't need an ideology because we're feeling each other we're feeling each other's reality in a reality around these topics and that that to me is the medicine and that has radically changed my understanding of some of these huge collective trauma fields and my relationship with them as well as giving me a deeper insight into what it is like for people who live in those trauma fields or have inherited them and that's beyond any ideology there's no ism or or preconceived ideas about what's right and wrong there's just these at the foundation these basic relational practices which which are very simple in how we we listen more deeply or we, we we speak we learn to speak in Anne's language from the heart effectively and that is what is the the medicine to this system it kind of starts to dissolve the matrix <laughs> that we're in and we see that this i mean matrix is a kind of loaded term but it is like a matrix that we live in. And I'm sitting here in the offices of a nonprofit climate news service. Like never would I imagine that I wouldn't be working in some big organization in some high up role. And, But why? Like it's just part of the, the spinning wheels taking us faster and faster to the cliff edge. Right. So, I mean, that opens a whole nother question about where we position ourselves in relation to this, this kind of matrix, this system. But, but the personal liberation of recognizing how conditioned we are and what lies on the other side of that conditioning that, and, and the, the gateway to that we space is 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 a magical realization, I think. So, again, stream of consciousness for you, Jacob, but <laughs> feels like a lot of points of connection flickering.
0: Oh, Anne,
3: you're on mute. Sorry. It feels like we're in the jeweled net of Indra. (laughs) Every little spark is now sparking off every other little spark. That to me is we space. Feeling alive, feeling whole. So rather than coming from a place of dysfunction, we can begin to see ourselves as whole. I'm whole. I just need to live into more of my wholeness
1: Mm
3: -hmm. as opposed to I have a pathology and it needs to be fixed Mm -hmm. I mean even those words weigh on my heart differently pathology think about taking a breath together and going to that place of wholeness completely different sensing So you were right in saying that these experiences are a practice. And the more we can practice together, the better we get to know what this feels like. And then we can begin to make a difference. And we will be guided to what we need to do, not to band-aid solutions and Because we think this is going to be a tinkering and a better of that. We're really going into something that has a wholeness to it. And as Jacob was saying, we are birthing something new. And yet, I think, the sense of having to take responsibility for that is what scares the hell out of everybody. Whoa! If I change how I am, and it has an opportunity to bring something different. Whoa, that's big. But then, I have to keep doing it, or I have to invest myself in it, in that sense of it. So, that whole notion of responsibility, like dragging a cross over my shoulder, as opposed to responding with an ability to then open to something else. Again, just, it's a slight shift. And sometimes so subtle, we don't even notice it. But when we begin to observe ourselves and witness, and that's the beauty of experiencing, together is the witnessing. I can witness you bringing to me parts of me that were uncovered yet. Thank you for bringing light to that part of me that wants to be part of this greater thing. Mm. So yeah, it feels like the jeweled net of Indra has begun to light up again. It's a beautiful place to be. Thank you, gentlemen.
0: Thank you so much, Anne. Uh, I want to invite Brendan, if there's anything um, yet unspoken for you, Uh, Just as we draw to the close here.
2: Yeah, just to echo what has been said, I think that when we are not in balance and we have an excess of yang and a lack of yin, um, uh, kind of on a concrete everyday level, we're not as happy as we could be, we're not as healthy as we could be. And honestly, to make it somewhat mundane, we're much uh, more vulnerable consumers.
1: Mm.
2: And a reason for that is that marketing now is about basically um, uh, feeding on our insecurities and feeding on our lack of contentment. So one way we can individually and collectively kind of be a remedy to the nefarious things that are going on is just to be in balance you know with, marketing doesn't work um, if we're satisfied wanting the new fancy thing is not interesting when we're satisfied right we're not interested in the accumulation of things we don't need so part of this is also very very practical you know how do we how do we limit consumption be more satisfied with your life how do you use less oil be more satisfied with your life Right. Uh, so part of it is is not only internal, but part of it can be about larger systems and larger movements. You know, so yin and yang is not only practical internally, but it's very practical in terms of how are we going to create a movement or maybe in more of a yin term, how are we going to create a non-movement to address what's going on? So we really can apply these ideas which I think, you know, yin and yang is obviously Chinese medicine based, Chinese cultural based, but it's really just nature based. And so, how can we apply these nature based ideas individually, collectively, and in terms of addressing the larger issues that now confront us? So, it's practical, in my opinion, on all, and in my experience, on all levels.
0: Well, thank you, Brendan and uh Matthew and Anne as well this conversation's been really um beautiful medicine for me I can feel that as I leave it and I'm thankful uh for the muse that caused me to bring the three of you together and um I trust that continuing to participate in that movement will continue to help us generate these medicinal insights into what has become a very stuck and concerning um world so thank you very much and thank you to everybody participating in this thank you
1: thank you jacob
3: thank you jacob for opening this space for these possible conversations
2: i'm grateful to be part of the conversation also thanks guys